0: You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. Today I'd like to start out as I always do and point out that there is a website that you can visit called WealthFormula.com. WealthFormula.com is the home of this podcast and it's also where you can sign up for some of the various lists, including our accredited investor list, lots of different things that we're Uh, Doing this year, including real estate, of course, but uh, we're in the aviation space. We're doing uh, ATMs again, a bunch of broker-dealer due diligence done on a number of things. There's going to be some mergers and acquisitions. Uh, Lots of things. If you uh, qualify, and how do you qualify? Well, you basically make $200,000 per year uh, for two years in a row with a reasonable expectation to continue to do so. Or $300,000 if you're filing jointly. Or million dollars of uh, net worth outside of your personal residence and that makes you an accredited investor okay so go to wealthformula.com, sign up for investor club get onboarded but uh, let's talk about today about you know speaking of investing let's talk about what you know, might be one of the safest uh time-tested uh, double-digit uh, returning investments in history when I was uh, fresh out of surgical residency and I started to make money, I started looking for advice on what to do with it, uh, personal personal finance advice, obviously. I mean, that's kind of what I was looking for, didn't know what I was doing. So one of the questions I had was about life insurance. I was a newlywed, had a baby on the way. Uh, she, by the way, is uh, starting, or she already started, she's just midway through her first year in high school, um, showing how old... Uh, uh, I'm getting. So um, anyway, I started asking these guys I was working with at the time, should I buy term or permanent life insurance? These were terms that I didn't really understand or know or even, you know, whatever. I mean, I I had no interest in personal finance. I just wanted someone to tell me what to do. So there was a younger guy I was working with. He was a bit of a know-it-all, kind of annoying. He had a lot of advice about pretty much everything. Most of it wasn't good. Uh, I was a facelift surgeon. He, he was too, and his facelifts weren't even that good, and I started revising them uh, months later after he'd left. Uh, so anyway, for whatever it's worth, I listened to what he had to say, and he said to me with a significant amount of confidence, buy term and invest the difference. In other words, don't buy permanent life insurance. Stick to term Life insurance—it's cheap—and with the money you don't spend on permanent life insurance, throw it into the stock market. The older guy had very different advice. It was 2009. He was planning to retire until that financial meltdown really kicked his butt. Now, um, a lot of people who are, you know, listening to this show really didn't uh, didn't have a lot of money back even 2008, 2009, and so. But that one really did wipe a lot of people out, and it hit real estate really hard, too. Uh, obviously, it was huge. Um, and, you know, in 2023 and 2024, now we're kind of facing similar kinds of experiences, but it's been a while. But anyway, a lot of people like him just got their butts kicked. And he, um, and he told me that he had, he had wished that he'd bought more permanent life insurance because that was pretty much all he had left. That was sort of unsolicited. I wasn't even asking him about insurance. I asked him about what's the one thing you wish you'd, you know, if you could go back, what would you do differently? Anyways, viewpoint was thought provoking. And I felt like I needed to listen to everyone, but ultimately felt the need to do the opposite of whatever this guy suggested because I didn't want to end up like him. So I ended up buying term and uh, didn't think about it again until a couple of years later when I started my own practice was making uh, some real money. And at that time, I had joined a mastermind with a bunch of high net worth uh, business people, right? And one of these business groups where you basically kind of go around the table and you kind of get advice from each other and that kind of thing. And, and at some point, life insurance came up again because these things you talked about, not only business, but your personal stuff too. And um, when life insurance came up, the idea of pr- something called premium finance permanent life insurance came up over and over again. And it occurred to me that a lot of these uh, high net worth people who were, you know, older than me and more successful than me at that point were buying permanent life insurance despite what that, you know, young surgeon told me back in the day. So I decided to look back into my options. What I discovered was that, well, the young guy and the old older guy uh, were actually both giving me advice uh, that wasn't necessarily wrong. and permanent life insurance is on the surface, it is incredibly stable, like the uh, older guy was saying, but it wasn't yielding very well like the younger guy was saying. So you know, bottom line is they weren't they weren't wrong. Neither one of them was wrong. The reason uh, that most professionals don't uh, see what the high net worth people, see in permanent life insurance is because they're not designed the same, right? Permanent life insurance is ultimately a tool uh, for the wealthy. And a fool with a tool is still a fool, right? And I'm not saying that we're all fools, but we're made of fools by a lot of the people who are selling us things and when we don't know about them. Permanent life insurance, in a nutshell, means different things for the middle class. And ultimately, that reflected on the professional class, which I was part of, uh, than it does to the rich. Completely different design. And that was the big, the big aha moment. The policies that the high net worth people were designed, uh, um, were getting, were designed very differently. And they were optimized for investment purposes and for retirement purposes. In fact, the high net worth world has a, um, they, they call these things LERPs, L-I-R-P's, uh, life insurance retirement plans. Look it up. I mean, they're basically, you're going to, if you look it up, you're going to see a bunch of high uh, high net worth sites that pop up. Basically, you know, that, that that's what those products are for. Permanent life insurance in this world plays a role in not only uh, risk mitigation and estate planning, but also retirement income, asset protection, uh, in in estate planning. The more I learned about these uh, these strategies, the more they became really no-brainers for me and I became a, sort of a big fan. Now, the guys that taught me the most about this stuff, Rod Zabriskie, Christian Allen the, of Wealth Formula Banking uh, fame, they designed all my policies and now design policies for many people uh, in this audience. And, it, you know, I especially appreciate these guys because they approach these concepts with an open mind where some life, Uh, insurance producers push one product or another for various reasons. These guys have all sorts of options that fit different types of people with different goals and objectives. So I was talking to Rod uh, recently and, and uh, he was telling me about how there was a big, you know, uptick in the number of people all of a sudden going in and doing, uh, doing their policies. A lot of people who were thinking about it now are pushing uh, the go button. And the reason, well, not surprisingly, the markets have been hurt by uh, rapidly rising interest rates and, are, and people are looking for safe harbors. And all you need to do is look at the Great Depression to see that permanent life insurance has been a major safe harbor throughout history. Um, and again, given the uptick in interest in these products, I decided to ask Rod to come back on and uh, talk about some of these various permutations of these strategies to show ultimately, like there's a lot of different ways you can go with this stuff. You can play with it, but ultimately one of the great benefits of this thing, uh, this type of thing is it's, you know, backed by some of the oldest, most stable companies in the world. I mean, this stuff is, is really, really uh, uh, pretty conservative stuff. So, uh, I, I never feel, I never feel too concerned about, you know, I've never met anybody who bought one of these policies who regretted it. Right. And so it's always great to have Rod on and we will have him on after these messages. But do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility, it protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to wealthformulabanking.com. Again, that's wealthformulabanking.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Rod Zabrisky. Rod uh, is uh, one half the dynamic duo that makes up our Wealth Formula Banking team. Uh, Rod, how are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing great. Glad
0: to be on. Yeah, obviously, Rod's been on a number of times, and and Rod, I thought it would be a good time to have you on because as we are um, in a market right now that is, uh, you know, not ideal. It's a volatile market. It's, um, you know, something that we haven't. Most people actually uh, probably haven't really had significant experience with a down market because it's been artificially sort of elevated for the last 15 years. Uh, But this is what really happens in the real world. And what we see during these periods is people often want to, uh, for good reason, they start looking at investments that are uh, really, you know, safe harbor type things, whether that's gold. And I'm not a big fan of gold or permanent life insurance products or another. And so that's you're seeing a big influx of people. Wanting to, to do that right now. And so we thought we'd get on and talk about some of the major questions and issues that people encounter uh, when, they, when they start doing their own due diligence online. So uh, let's start with this. Um, let's just do a quick review here, Rod. And uh, first of all, let's talk about the two products um, that we do. And the first is uh, Wealth Formula Banking. Let's talk about that. What is, uh, what is wealth formula banking?
1: Yeah. wealth formula banking in a nutshell is a way to improve the flow of money that you have moving in and out of your investments. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't replace, or it doesn't take the place of investing in real estate or your business or funds or notes or all these different things. It is, uh, it's a way to make it more efficient and create an, an additional layer of profitability. So in other words, what happens is whereas most people save up their money inside of a bank account or a money market account, they build that account. I call it the opportunity fund. Build up their opportunity fund. Take that money and go out and invest with it. Create cash flow. Create returns coming back. Flow that all back into their bank account. Build it back up and go out and invest in something else. Right? Yeah. Well, what web formula banking is, is basically just taking that same flow, but replacing the bank account, which is just inefficient, right? We choose it because it's safe and it's liquid. It's just not doing anything for us in between deals. Right. So... Whereas with this wealth Formula of banking, what we're doing is creating a specialized life insurance policy, a place where we can create a, a very consistent four and a half five 5% plus return that's tax-free. We have access to it. We have that same liquidity and, and safety, but we're just supercharging it. Yeah. We have additional things that we can expect from it. So uh, as we flow that money, it's the same thing. We, we put money into the policy instead of putting it in the bank. We now have our opportunity fund. We, when we when we're going to go and invest with that money, instead of actually taking it out of the account, we take a loan against it. And we do that so that our money can stay there in the account and continue to grow, just continues to, to compound and grow at that 5% tax-free rate. While simultaneously we've, we've loaned against it and that's the money we're out investing with. So we're creating value in multiple places at the same time. Right. So, so it's that flow. Well, Where's let's let's let's
0: talk a little. And the, the I think the, uh, sometimes this is a little confusing. And I think the m- major thing with this is that people will say, "Well, what? Why? Why wouldn't I just do? You know, like a home equity line of credit? Um, you know, because sure. basically you are just taking uh, equity and then you are borrowing against uh, the equity that you have." And I think what you are saying, the the major point here, because this is something that I think is really um, you know, sort of the 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 big difference is that you just mentioned that when you're taking that loan out against your policy, your cash value in your policy, you are not actually using your money, right? Like your money is continuing to grow at whatever this five uh, uh, yep. percent, whatever, and it is not actually being removed. You're getting a policy. Are, you are getting a loan essentially from the insurance company that is at mm-hmm. simple uh, interest, whereas your money's growing at this compounding rate. Right. And so the arbitrage of not only the, any difference in that interest, but also the arbitrage between compounding interest versus simple interest as you invest into some sort of cash flowing investment becomes profound right? Absolutely. And so that's, that's the real thing here. And then the idea is then you take this money and it comes back and then you pay off the debt as it's coming back. And then your overall return becomes significantly larger. Now, yep. it, did I get that right?
1: Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So are, are spot on.
0: as an example, I don't know if you have these numbers in front of you, but we had done, um, you know, for ATM machines, which we, this mm-hmm. year, um, you know, we did a, huge, uh, due diligence dive on with a broker dealer. And it was like, it's just good to know everything is like, you know, at least in our fund is, is totally, uh, kosher and it's, you know, been running. I've been doing this for almost, you know, like eight years, been through cycles and mm-hmm. it's great to have this kind of constant cash flow. Uh, and now all of a sudden, if you think about, um, what the IRR on that is compared to, if all you did was get one of these policies that creates this flow, protects your family, all this stuff. You put money into the banking account first, and then you do the ATMs. Do you remember what the difference was in terms of IRRs? Yeah,
1: yeah. So on the on just the base pro forma IRR from the from the ATM, uh, it's putting out about a sixteen and a half percent return, and that's not that's not including some of the tax things right, right. that you can do. That's just base yeah. cash flow what, what you're getting back. And when we, when we use the wealth formula banking policy for the funding of that, we turn that 16.5% return into a 20.8% return.
0: Yeah. And but you're talking about absolute return. What the
1: IRR. It, the annualized, yeah. when you annualize that.
0: The over- IRR. Right, right, right. IRR. Right. Yep. So that is a, uh, that is a, that's a substantial difference.
1: It is, especially because when you when you start to compound that, and I mean everybody would choose twenty instead of sixteen if they could, right? Right. Right. Um, and and then also when you when you compound that uh, that over time, it it creates a very different projection on on it. So I would I did like a ten year analysis on that. And you have almost twice as much money at the end of 10 years if you get a 20.8% return as opposed to a 16.5% return.
0: Yeah. And, and that that's really important actually you that just, people understand that because there is a a time element to this. When you use uh, IRR, yeah. there's the, uh, which Rod is doing, there's the, um, you know, the, the, the value of money, time value of money is included in that as well. So if you're really talking about, you know it returns you're looking at you if you're looking at twice as much effectively by simply just putting it in a policy first i mean it's just you know if you can find something that consistently pushes out money like those atms do that ends up being like an absolute no-brainer right like it's like why, why wouldn't yeah. you do that and
1: then and then when you talk about a time like right now where let's say someone did that let's say you know, four years ago, they put money into the ATM fund. They're funneling that money back to their policy right. with the purpose of building up the opportunity fund again to go invest in something else. Mm-hmm. But then you find yourself at a time like right now where you're like, oh, but I don't, I'm not finding the deals now. Like I was mm-hmm. two, three years ago, I'm sitting on that money for a little while. Well, again, even better to have it in a place where it's growing at a, on a very consistent basis that's tax free. But it's still there. It's ready for you mm-hmm. when you're ready for it.
0: So um, I think the the moral of the story on this is again, if you look at when I was a when I was a resident, I tell the story all the time. But I just you know these these guys and you know these little know it all um, surgeon, young surgeons would tell you they could, they knew everything about money and they'd say, oh, you just buy buy term and invest invest the difference that's anybody stupid if you do permanent life insurance it's because they don't know because it's a raw material right that is absolutely the case like if you are just buying term insurance and versus buying life insurance which isn't overfunded isn't designed in any sort of way isn't you know manipulated engineered the way you're doing it here of course that you're not going to do as well but if you actually start using this as a tool, you know, which it is, it becomes pretty clear why this is is a beneficial thing to do. Um yeah,
1: I think that's a great point.
0: Yeah. So basically allows you to invest your money in two places at the same time. That's that's it. Okay, so yep. since then, and this is by the way, this you know, this concept has been known by a lot of names. It's infinite banking, whatever. Um, I think the reason that we chose Well Formula Banking specifically is because we're focused on invest in, investing because you hear about this, right. you know, people do this to buy cars, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And to me, it's just like, why would you do I mean, that you know, it just doesn't really make sense. We're focusing on this and optimizing this for the purpose of investing that money somewhere else. So, okay, so yes. there's that. And you hear about this concept across the board, and then you hear about this other concept, uh, which we have... Um, called the wealth accelerator now what is the wealth accelerator um let's 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 do a compare and contrast from
1: yeah so the wealth accelerator i think our our best starting point on this one is you may have heard of of people who use life insurance uh to build up toward creating a future tax-free income in retirement Mm -hmm. right they call it a lerp or a life insurance retirement plan right
0: by the way that's a that's that's really important because like That's where, that's where you really start seeing high net worth people. If you look at any high net worth, you know, site or, you know, uh, planning for wealth building, LERP, LERP, everywhere LERP, right? (laughs) L-A-R-P. And, and that's what this is. And again, this is just evidence that high net worth people use this. It's the middle class who does not use this stuff. So anyway, (laughs) go ahead. Yeah. Uh,
1: So that's one piece of it. And then the other piece is for, estate planning purposes, obviously life insurance can be a huge tool that can be used for that.
0: Right. So
1: what if you had one or both of those goals that you, that you want future tax, tax-free income, tax-free uh, money coming into your estate that when you pass, but what if you could do that without having to pay all the money going into it? Mm-hmm. Right. In other words, for the same dollars that you're putting into the plan, we're leveraging that we're, uh, we're adding additional money through loans from a bank so that when it comes time to take the income in retirement you get a lot more tax-free income because you use the leverage when it comes time and you pass and the estate is passing on to the next generation there's a lot more death benefit that passes on to the next generation because of this leverage that you've used mm-hmm. so it makes a huge difference
0: so I think the, the way to think about this is like for there's two from my perspective there's like a they both involve all of the elements of wealth creation that we talk about in terms of like mathematics behind wealth creation, right? It's, you've got your mm-hmm. uh, asset that creates a, a return, uh, you know, and, and we we and then you have leverage uh, on top of that, yep. and uh, and then you're putting in, you know, obviously you're putting in money to to make this happen. So those are the three variables, and so you're getting. all the three variables with both approaches with wealth formula banking, you're the, you're getting your leverage by actually borrowing it and deploying it. And then, you know, effectively the growth on it is a fixed growth in the whole life. Plus the growth that you get from your other investment. Right. So that that's what you're using all those components again. Now here to me, this is sort of like the um, wealth accelerator is more like, it's in a, it, it's it uses the variables but it's in a box it's all done yeah. for you where what yeah. now what you're doing is you're saying okay i'm not going to go out and find these investments cash flow investments i'm going to use the s&p 500 and the s&p 500 is going to go up and it's go down and i'm only going to participate when it goes up because that's what this effectively does uh, this uh uh, IUL model. And you can talk a little bit about that. I'll take the upside. I won't take the downside. Yes. You heard that correctly. You take the upside. You don't take the downside you, and then you'll leverage the upside, right? Effectively. That's, that's what you're doing there. You're creating all the elements, the, all the variables that you want to create wealth, but it's in a box now, right? So, so that's basically the two, the two options. In a nutshell, yeah. okay. I mean, there's devil. The devils yeah, in the details. There's more details here, but so uh, what else? What else on the wealth accelerator? Obviously, I just mentioned you don't take the downside, but one of the things that there's a cap on the upside, typically, right? right? So what what would that right. cap be?
1: Yeah. So right. I mean, it it, it kind of varies uh, on different different timetables, but right now it's about ten. If you're using the S and P 500, yeah, and you say, hey, I'm not going to participate in any of the losses. Then when there are gains, then you're getting a roughly cap out at 10%.
0: Okay. So now here's the thing. People say, well, 10%. Well, gosh, I mean, what if the what if the market goes to 20%? But what happens when you leverage it? When you leverage that right, 10%? Okay.
1: Yeah. So you're capping at 10 And so then if you say, okay, well, then what's my average? What can I expect from an average standpoint uh, across time? Maybe, you know, 6% as an average. Okay
0: and then well that's just the market in general right that's that's just the market in general yeah
1: well that's that's what the IUL is likely going to return you okay your IRR on that uh, when when you're factoring costs everything else right 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 end up right around six percent right that's tax-free and then when you lever that up you're going to turn that into maybe like a 12 13 14 percent IRR again that's tax-free and so again when you when you start taking that income later. That's a lot more because you might look at that and say, well, that's, that's a 8% higher return if I go from six to 14. No, it's actually, you've more than doubled your return.
0: And why is that? Going from
1: six to 14, because going from six to 12 would double your return. Mm -hmm. But we've gone a little further than that, right?
0: Right, So it's
1: a multiplier.
0: How does the, and how much leverage does that end up being for Wealth Accelerator?
1: Yeah. Good question. So in terms of the money that's going into the plan, initially you're putting a hundred percent of the money in. Okay. We're mm-hmm. creating an asset, like you said, earlier. you are creating an asset. Now we're leveraging that asset, collateralizing it to, to access more cash. And then we use that cash to put more money into it, yeah. build the asset. It gets bigger. The line of credit gets bigger, mm-hmm. et cetera. We just keep doing that. Yep. So by the time you're done, I mean, you're going to be, you, you will have put in 20, 30 times. As much from the
0: leverage as what you initially put in, right? In cash, right, right. So um, the other question is, okay, so you average so six percent, but in any given year, let's say in any given year, you the market goes crazy, it's like you know twenty percent return uh, for S and P five hundred. Mm-hmm. You got capped at ten.
1: Yep.
0: If you got capped at ten with leverage, you're still going to get your twenty percent, right? Because when of the leverage. leverage. What I'm saying is basically you've got a 10%, but that's without leverage. And I don't know if you did the numbers on that, but it's hard to say how much.
1: Yeah. And, and I'll say this. We don't usually isolate it into a single year because yeah, an I'm, individual year doesn't t- tell the whole story. That's why we put it out and we say over long periods of time, regardless, you know, the market uh, yeah. on in every any 10-year period, the market's has gone average going to be up seven or eight and down two or three years yeah. of that. Yeah.
0: No, I get it. I think I think the, the thing I'm trying to get at is that I think people think that the that the upside cap is this major um, hurdle. But it's when you put the leverage in, it's basically not. It's it's really not preventing right. you from getting capturing uh, the, the major gains of the market. Right. So. Um, OK, yep. so that that's basically, you know, wealth building in a box um, with guardrails. Not a bad mm-hmm. deal. Okay. So insurance producers, which you are, somebody who helps people design mm-hmm. these things, yes. they seem to do only one of these or the other, right? And this is part of what we wanted to talk about because this is where you get on the internet and you start talking about these different policies. And it really mm-hmm. does become, it's it's like a Republican versus Democrat thing, uh-huh. right? Yep. And and I and I say that specifically because you know it certainly I have conservative conservative leanings, but I don't agree with everything on that side. And sure, and people sometimes get into this mold. It's almost like a tribal thing, right? Like maybe a better way to describe it is I've been a Minnesota Vikings fan since I was uh-huh. six years old. Okay, I lived in Minnesota. I grew up in Minnesota, but I haven't lived in Minnesota. Uh, for probably at least 30 years, I don't know something like that, but I'm mm-hmm. still a Vikings fan. Most of those players weren't even born uh, when I you know, <laughs> yeah. you know since I moved from Minnesota and and I'm sitting there. I'm still a fan and I I still hate the Packers and 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 the Packers yeah. hate us and there's no rhyme or reason for it. There's you know other than that's my team. And to me, people who are, uh, you know, either producing uh, the IUL stuff or the the whole life stuff that we talk about Mm -hmm. are sort of like on different teams that hate each other and and will just go after each other for no reason at all. And why is that? Tell me why that is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know that I have an, an exact answer for that, but we are strange. Yeah, we're, we're an anomaly in this because, Buck, if you went to a game and you saw someone wearing a packer, a, a hat where half of it's <laughs> Packers and half of it's Vikings, yeah, that person's hated by everybody. Yeah, exactly,
0: right? exactly. Like nobody
1: wants to see that.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: and and so that's kind of where we are. We're like, hey, we use whole life because it's a tool, and we, and we use it where it's appropriate. We have IUL, we use it and as a tool where it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then the, there's this war going on yeah. between uh, agents that love whole life and hate IUL or vice versa. Okay, and, and here's basically, I think, what it comes down to, so that really the answer to your question, is there are those who believe in the guarantees and the predictability of whole life. Yes. You just you go into it, and you have a pretty good idea what, what's, what's going to come out of it. Dividends may change. They may morph a little bit from time to time, but they're not changing much.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The dividend with these companies from 15 years ago compared to what they're paying today is very small, maybe a yeah. percentage point is all. Yeah. Right. As whereas on the on the IUL side, you have more upside potential, right? The way we talked about it a minute ago, why wouldn't I want to participate in the gains of the S and P 500 instead of just getting a straight guaranteed interest and in these these very consistent dividends? If I could get more, have more upside upside opportunity. So that's where the IUL people are saying, why would you put yourself in that position where you're just going to get the same boring return every year on the whole life? Come over here where where life is more exciting. We're having a party and you get to follow, you know, what's going on in the S&P and have a more upside opportunity to, to do that. Yeah. So uh, and and. The, on that basis I can't disagree with either and that's actually that it comes back to the reasons why okay great rod so then why do you use whole life over here versus using iul over there and it just comes back to understanding what they are what they offer and aligning them with what you're wanting to do so with wealth formula the banking when we're putting the money in there we're loaning against it to go out and invest I want it to be rock solid I want to know exactly what it's going to do year in and year out, because I'm going out and, and putting my risk elsewhere in the investments. I'm getting right. enough risk over there. I don't need to also carry it in this underlying account. Right. So can IUL be used with, with wealth form the banking? It absolutely can, but <laughs> you don't well, get that same rock solid foundation as you get with whole life. So that's why we,
0: yeah. Okay. Or so, right. So, so that, and that's a good point. So the, the things that the opponents of the wealth formula banking or whole life, whatever would say, you know, it's, it, maybe it's too rigid. It's, there's no flexibility because yep. um, again, because of fixed returns and those returns they'll say aren't, are, are not high enough. They're low returns in your cash value is what they'll say. But we yeah. just talked about well, that if you're doing it, if you're designing it, the idea is you're going to go out and invest it yourself. That's that's the idea, and effectively right. l- using this as a you know a base uh, to uh, to add to your returns, not to replace it.
1: That's a key point because we're not trying to make your wealth foreign the banking policy the investment. <laughs> yeah, we're just making it the opportunity fund. And yeah you go out and, and create cool returns elsewhere right
0: and then you know boring and less upside potential and all that that that's basically again assuming you're doing nothing with it one thing I want right. to one thing I want to mention though like is because we keep associating whole life with uh wealth formula banking and um the and and you know Iul only for wealth accelerator one of the things that we we talked a bit offline because i I actually did this with one of my Mm -hmm. um, whole life policies is I actually use that in the wealth accelerator model instead of an IUL. And, you know, it wasn't specifically a purpose purpose, rather than I just wanted to, I wanted to use the IUL model. And, Mm -hmm. and people normally don't, aren't thinking about doing that because they're like, well, gosh, you know, I want to take the upside and the downside and, you know, and limit the out downside. And of course that's real. But if you truly, if you truly do not want exposure to the market, if you want these fixed returns and you mm-hmm. do add leverage to that, those returns are not that boring anymore, especially if you think about it as, you know, essentially, um, it, it is stable and almost, I wouldn't say guaranteed, yeah. but I mean, it. They, they're, they're these incredibly stable returns. When you leverage them, the numbers actually look really quite good over time. I mean, t- why don't you talk about that?
1: Yeah. So that four and a half five 5% return that I talked about that we're, we're creating right now in whole life. And I said plus because as interest rates are higher, then likely dividends will go higher. And so, so the return would mm-hmm. as well. But take 5% when you leverage that, that's going to turn into... 11, 12%.
0: Right.
1: Right. right. So and again, now we're taking this very rock solid, predictable asset, but now creating an, an extra level of return on top of that. And, and you bring up a good point because in the wealth accelerator, we're not exclusively using one or the other. Typically we're using a combination of the two. Yeah. In other words, we want that, that, that solid base foundation piece But we also like from the IUL, the opportunity to get higher upside opportunity, create more income later. So you
0: might want to, you might want to hedge a little bit there, but if you, but my point is simply that you can make, you can make whole life pretty exciting. I mean, if you use like, if you can say 11, 12% and you know, really not have down years there, I mean, it doesn't take long to double your money, right? Rule of seven, right? What's a rule of seven, Rod? Do you remember?
1: Yep. 72. Rule, 72. Of 72 rule of 72. The, Sorry.
0: I mean, that's a rule of seven, yep. seven would be yeah. even better, but, but, but it's a rule of 72. What is it?
1: Yeah. So if you, uh, whatever your return is divided by 10 tells you how long it's going to take to, to double your money. So if you just use real easy math, if I'm getting a 7.2% return, I'm going to double my money every 10 years.
0: Right. So do the math for us on 11.
1: <laughs> yeah. So if it's, if it's an 11, you know, 11% return, right. right then I'm going to double my, my money every seven years. Yeah, yeah,
0: So double, I, double money every seven years, maybe it's six or, or whatever uh, as that goes yeah. up a little bit over time. But, um, yeah. that's not a, if, if, for, for an extremely low risk type thing, that is pretty darn good. It's pretty darn good. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, even for not a very high risk thing, it's pretty darn good. So, so anyway, that's my point is like, you know, you, there is more than one ways to 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 make this uh, appealing to a very broad group of people. Now, with the IUL said, the wealth accelerator side, let's go back to the idea that we're using that you know S and P five hundred and all that. Now, the whole life, you know, uh, people they they come in and they start criticizing, and this is big, 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 big in this community because for mm. whatever reason it tends to lean in the whole life direction, but. Um, they say there's fewer guarantees um, with this than whole life, uh, and so it makes it vulnerable to sluggish markets. Which, what do you say to that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the answer is that that's true, and and so then at the end of the day, like inside of the wealth accelerator plan, that's actually why we use both because we're saying, hey, we we like the higher upside opportunity that the IUL gives us. But we recognize, especially because we're using leverage, we'll, we're vulnerable if there are multiple years in a row where the market isn't growing. Again, gratefully, I'm not participating in those losses, but I'm at zero interest earned in that year for the for the the asset. But I'm still accruing interest on my on my right. side. Right. So, like you said earlier, we we're hedging that by including the whole life with it. Yeah. And, and so I guess the point is let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. If, if we recognize weaknesses in the product, but there are things we can do about it to still use it still to take advantage of the, of the pros without exposing ourselves, you know, too much to the cons. If, if those are things I don't want, then, then we use the whole life, but I'll tell you this, we have clients who only want IUL in their wealth accelerator. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And, and there, are, there are a few reasons for that. One is they say, well, I, I much prefer the, the higher upside. I'm a higher risk taker, so I'm okay with that. And I carry liquidity elsewhere. Yeah. So if something happens and I need to come in and rescue this, I have the money to do that. But as a package, as a, a you know plan in a box, I want to give it as, as much upside opportunity as possible. So, so to me, now just breaking it down and saying, okay, Rod, why are you okay working in the whole life world and the IUL world? Let's just understand them for what they are, the tool that it can provide, mm-hmm. and then put, plug it in the right place mm-hmm. for the right situations. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying you have to choose one, and by choosing one, you have to ignore and toss out the other.
0: Right. Uh, another, another thing that they say is increasing costs later in life kill cash value. That's another uh, uh, thing that people say with IUL. That did yeah, the...
1: knock against IUL. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, a good point to, to just help people see when we're building these policies, whether it's whole life, mm-hmm. whether it's IUL, we are minimizing costs and maximizing the money, the, the growth side mm-hmm. of the account. And part of that includes uh, reducing the amount of insurance on the policy as low as we can get it while still playing within the IRS's rules. So we get those tax benefits. Right. But the point is that now with, with this kind of, of uh, you know, pe- complaint that people have about IUL because we've designed it that way from the beginning and we've, there are very low costs to begin with that cost later in life just doesn't even become an issue because we've And put it this way. Of the money that's putting in, take take per dollar that's going in, roughly on an, on average about twenty cents of that is going toward the pure insurance part of it, and the other eighty cents is going is just overfunded. I'm just putting extra money in the policy because I want the benefits that we talked about of, of those characteristics that whole life give me or that the life insurance yeah. gives me. And so because of that, those costs are so small from day one that we're just don't have to worry about that later in life.
0: Yeah. Uh, another, another uh, thing that those guys will say about this is that, and I've heard this one before a bunch of times, which I think there's a pretty good answer to this too, which is that in the insurance company, uh, they'll say, if you looked at the contract, there's so much latitude, they can decide on costs and index caps. They can change whatever they want, but there's something called a, you know, supply and demand in the market. If they want to sell insurance, they're not going to do that. Right. I mean, effectively that's it.
1: Yeah. And at the end of the day, uh, we're, we're creating a partnership with that company, right? So we only will work with companies that have been around a long time, have a good track record of, of doing these things. And, and really when I say doing these things, I mean, making the right moves to, to reflect what's going on in the economy. So for example, when interest rates started going up here over the last couple of years, it makes sense that that should push caps higher. Yeah. In other words, the insurance company is earning higher returns right. on their investments. So therefore, when they're creating these caps, they, they can increase the caps mm-hmm. and they have.
0: Right. Right. right.
1: And so um, if if that wasn't the case, if they weren't adjusting accordingly, that would be that would be bad on them. Right. Right. But even worse would be if I said, oh, no, I don't want to have give you the ability to, to move those caps if I get into a policy two years ago and the cap was eight and a half percent and I'm locked in at eight and a half percent, I don't have that opportunity to to get higher caps when interest rates go up. Well, that's bad on me. Right. Right. So we need, we need to give the the companies the latitude to be able to make those adjustments so that it reflects really what's going on in in the economy.
0: Yeah. That's the, I mean, that's the way to look at it. Like, you know, at the end of the day, these, these companies that it, it is not in their interest to make these not attractive for for people to buy them. Right. So yeah, they, you're right. They can do that, but then of course no one will buy it. And then, then, then that's not, you know, that's not good for their business model. So they have to adjust and sort of that flexibility that the insurance company has actually works in our favor. It's not, it's not a, it's, it's not like a a something that they're going to use to screw you, which is I think what the insinuation is with, uh, with people in general who are attacking that. Right. Yep. Exactly. Um, Um. All right. So good stuff. What are we missing? Are we missing anything else? Attacks in general, big attacks. (laughs) What, Uh, what, what other questions are you running into? Like, I mean, because you're talking to so many people right now, people are like, this is the time to do this. What, what, what are people, what, what are some of the questions that that come up all the time?
1: Yeah. One of the things that really, I was going to say surprises me. I guess it doesn't surprise me, but it's it's kind of shocking mm-hmm. that the when the IUL people are, are you know bashing the, the whole life people and mm-hmm. vice versa, they talk about like, like one of those questions you asked about, well, later in life, the costs get bigger. And what's interesting is is when the whole life people say that, they say it while the costs on a whole life side get higher when you get older as well. In other words, when you break it back to the pure cost structure of this, whether you're talking about term, IUL, whole life, variable universe life, whatever insurance you're talking about, as we get older, costs get higher. And and the
0: the cost of insurance. Cost of
1: insurance, exactly. Yeah, cost of insurance gets higher.
0: And we've talked about the, I mean, the the, the way, you know, the way you can potentially get around that, which I did, um, which was to buy a lot of term insurance that I can convert. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's one
1: thing for sure. Um, but even in a contract, like when, when we set up these policies
0: mm-hmm. in
1: your whole life policy, as you get older, the costs are going to get higher. Right. That's, that, that just, it happens. Right. And so, but what happened, what, what we're doing when, when we're building the policies is we're setting it up so that the costs later in life, even though measured by per thousand of insurance you have on the policy, the cost is getting higher your actual uh, cost paid is going down because there's a, there's a narrowing gap between the cash value you have in your policy and the death benefit that you, that you carry. Yeah. The reason that's important is because the only insurance you're paying for is the Delta between the two. So if I have a a policy with whatever 500,000 in cash value and a million of, of insurance of the death benefit, I'm not actually paying for a million of insurance Right. They already have 500,000 sitting in my account. When I die, they pay out that million. They only have to come up with 500,000 from somewhere else to make up the difference to pay to my heirs. Right. 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 And there are a lot of people out there who will say, well, you don't get both. You don't get the death benefit and the cash value. That's, that's another reason why you should, you know, buy term and invest the rest. And the reason I bring up this point is because what they're saying is not really right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the 500,000 that I have in that cash value in that example Right. My heirs are getting that. Right. And then the other 500,000 is coming from somewhere else. That's the actual insurance portion that I'm paying right. for. Right. And as I get older, that portion of the insurance that I'm paying for is actually getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm. There's a smaller delta between cash value and death benefit as we get older.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, so um, I guess, you know, the, the other thing is like uh, when you, when you go through these, you talk about risk and all that kind of stuff. You do um, stress tests. Talk a little bit yeah. about stress tests. What are you doing there and why? And yeah, and that's,
1: that's especially on the Wealth Accelerator side because mm-hmm. someone will say, okay, great. If I'm using this IUL and the market is down for multiple years in a row, then what does that do to me? Right. right. Do I get to a place where, where this breaks? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what the stress tests do. It says, okay, well, let's, let's go back and look at historicals and say, uh, great depression as an example on the market side, what happens with this specific design, the way that we're building it, if the great depression happened tomorrow, Mm -hmm. right after I put my money in and then how does that play out? And then the other, the other kind of risk on the wealth accelerator side is interest rates. Mm -hmm. So a, a rapid rise in interest rates. How does that impact it? And and obviously the last couple of years. <laughs> well, you know, we had that. How did it rise do? of interest rates? Yeah. Um. But but if you go back to the early '80s, it was even worse. Yeah. Right. Because
0: because the interest rates. Well, the like, absolute the Fed rate. The absolute rates were higher. This this much slope higher, was increased twenty percent. Yeah. The yeah. slope of increase was higher this time, but but uh, a percentage of where our starting yeah, point was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. So.
1: Um, but so we stress test that. We go back and say, okay, well, great. What if you started your policy in the late seventies right. and then you experienced this rise in interest rates, then what happened? And, uh, so, and, and that is critical when you're looking at anything like this, especially in a situation where you're using leverage, yeah. if you're not working with somebody who is, who's stress testing it, then you need to move on because, yeah. uh, if, if they're only showing you the, the averages or only showing you the rosy picture, then, then you're not getting the full picture. We really need to, to understand yeah. how this works in in a variety of different situations.
0: Yeah. Well, bottom line is, uh, you know, you can make this, I mean, either way, um, you know, you talk about the risk that you have. You're basically talking about market risk, and it's not necessarily a whole lot different from any market risk that you're going to invest in, whether, that whether you're a stocks person or you're a real estate person. And so if you are, you know, if you want to stay away from market risk, then you just kind of, you know, go back into the contractual stuff, the whole life stuff, and and you can design and leverage yeah. that too. So there's lots of yeah. different ways to do this, but I think uh, from the perspective of, you know, um, you know, seeing whether it's uh, worth it or of interest to you, you uh, to how do your consults work? Cause I know, cause you go to wealthformulabanking.com. Anybody can do that and, and sign up there. Um, what, what can people expect in these consults that you're doing? Yeah. So we,
1: uh, we'll set up an initial meeting and, and the goal of that meeting really is to just get to understand where they're at, what, what was of interest to them that, that, you know, made them want to set up the meeting, answer any high level questions that they have, and then we'll send them additional material so they can continue to learn and we'll set up a follow up meeting, etc. So, We'll, we we'll, we have this process we work through where it's very much education oriented. We know that this, this whole conversation for a lot of people is, is new. It's mm-hmm. not the same as, as mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the 401ks and the, yeah, and the yeah. stock market yeah. kind of stuff that is right. just so, so loud of the voices out there. And mm-hmm. um, so, so we, we step through the process. It's very educational um, to give you to you. And, and I would say this, I would say a lot of people, especially that, that we uh, work with, uh, from your listenership, um, they are out there and and wanting to invest in other things. And so I'd say, well, performing the banking is, is a a big piece of that. Mm -hmm. But then what we see is, especially at times like now, uh, or, or when people are starting to feel like, well, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit overexposed in this area versus, you know, other, other risk, uh, profiles. Then they'll say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to carve off a chunk of cash from this active investing, cycle and i'm going to move it over into the wealth accelerator so like you said earlier it's still taking advantage of those same market uh benefits right velocity and cash flow and all those things it's just working for me inside of a box has a different risk profile than these other things that i have and so it adds a different element to the investment profile
0: yeah absolutely i mean i and one of the things that I always think about is like, I don't actually have a lot of uh, S&P 500 stock exposure. So this is actually not a bad way to get that exposure for me. You know, like where, yeah. again, I've, I've kind of got guardrails on, I can use leverage and then I can use that exposure to that market. So anyway, the, everybody's going to have their own kind of ways. And I what one of the things that I think is great about, you know, you guys having all of this in your arsenal is that you can really find, um, something for just about anybody and what, what they're trying to get. So, uh, thanks, uh, Rod, for being on again. Uh, this has been great. It's always a interesting conversation. I always get my wheels turning and want to convert more after I talk to you, uh, convert my term, uh, more after talking to you. Um, again, go to wealthformulabanking.com. Uh, Rod, thanks so much. Uh, and I'll talk to you next time, man. these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is if you're an accredited investor make sure to check out what they're up to right now at reliantfund4.com again that's reliantfund4.com welcome back to the show everyone hope you enjoyed it make sure you reach out to rod if you have not done so it's certainly it's not a commitment it's a free free uh basically a free education, uh, just to sit with him and, and have him let you know what, you know, the different options are and that kind of thing. Well, uh, you know, what, what I thought was interesting too is um, the Wealth Accelerator program, a lot of people, again, being wary of market forces and that kind of thing. What I think I was really shocked by was the fact that you could even take fixed rate contractual income and lever that up to, you know, double digit returns to me, I mean, that's, uh, gosh, if you're doing 11, 12% IRRs with that risk profile, it is something to seriously think about um, if if you have uh, reservations about the stock market as well. And uh, I've certainly have converted into uh, some of my policies into that as well. So anyway, check it out, go to wealthformulabanking.com. And that's it for me this week on uh, Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off.